Hi there, everyone. It's always such a privilege to be preaching the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and it's active, and I trust that you're well and you're expectant to receive the Word today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the Word of your power, the power of your Word. We open our hearts, Lord God, to be changed. May you speak to us. Holy Spirit, may you get down deep where only you can reach, and may you transform our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So we've been enjoying this series on identity and I've been talking about decoupling ourselves from pseudo identities, right? We've spoken about the achiever identity already, the hero achiever. And today we're going to talk about the victim. Let me start off by defining what a victim is. All right. A victim is a person who has come to feel helpless and passive in the face of misfortune or ill treatment. So based on life experiences, based on things that happen to them, certain misfortunes that they go through, how other people define them, they begin to internalize that and see themselves in that particular light. But remember, how you see yourself actually determines your behavior. And God has made us really powerful as people. Our identity in Christ is extremely powerful. And the enemy's strategy is to use the wounding in our lives, the hurts that we've been through, to have us in a place where we become very passive as people. And so the key question to ask yourself is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do as a result of some of the hardships you've faced in life, some of the wounding that you've faced in life? Are you going to turn some of your tragedies into triumphs? Are you going to turn your mess into a message? It's up to you. The choice is yours. There are many people who go through the same experiences, but they come out differently because of their attitude. Someone once said, your attitude determines your altitude in life, but it's a choice. If you look at someone's life today, someone who's maybe 75 years of age, when you trace their life, when you trace their history, you actually see that the outcome of our lives very often is a summation of choices that we have made, okay? It's not your lot in life to live as a victim. Don't embrace it as part of your personality. Some people are not even aware of this, but many people do it. And I want to show you how. You can see here there's what we call the accountability ladder or the ladder of power. Are you powerful or are you powerless, right? And you can see at the bottom, you start off in a place where you're just not aware. So you're literally unconscious. You don't know what you don't know. So there are many victims out there, but they're not actually aware of the fact that they're a victim. They are culture groups. They're societies that have been oppressed for so long, right? And they actually think that's their lot in life. They've got a deep-seated inferiority complex, all right? They believe that their life, their destiny, and their future is completely outside of their control. They cannot shape their existence. They cannot shape their future, all right? Then the second level, and this is all in the victim realm, this is all in the realm of powerlessness, is I blame and I complain. As long as you are blaming someone else or something else, for your life and everything that's going on in your life, you are powerless. You see, when I blame someone else or something else, I deny myself the opportunity to change. And we see this happening on the continent so much. If I go to someone and I say to them, you know, uh, your business is failing because of your poor leadership skills, okay? Someone might say to me like, no, it's because my brother bewitched me, okay? Because in their worldview, in their mindset, they're very fatalistic. Everything that is happening to me is because of something outside of me, right? Now, let me ask you a question. If I say to that person, listen, I can give you leadership skills. Listen, I can help you in this way and this way. Listen, if you study this or you go on this course, you will improve. That person will never do that because they believe that their success in life is completely because of something outside of themselves, right? And so that's the person who blames and complains. And I want to say when you're in this place of powerlessness as a victim, you actually become quite critical as a person. And next week, I'm going to talk about the judge critic, okay? But you become quite critical as a person. Why? Because everything about you, your success, your failures, it's all because of someone else. So you've got people to lash out at and criticize and, and accuse. 
all right? Then uh, the third level of powerlessness, it's I make excuses. There's always an excuse. It's never me. My self-esteem is so low that I can't keep beating myself up and blaming myself. It's always someone else's fault, okay? And then the fourth level is I wait and I hope. And this is what we see happening a lot, even in the body of Christ. You say to someone, so what's the plan? Hey, we're just hoping and praying. What are you going to do? Hey, we're just waiting and hoping, right? Well, maybe God is actually saying to you, no, you can do something about it. Maybe God is actually saying, I've given you certain things. What's in your hand? Just like he said to Moses, what's in your hand? Oh, there's this rod. Okay, begin to use the rod, right? Um, but many of us, we passively wait and hope. If you look in the Bible, that word waiting on the Lord is actually an active uh, word, all right? Kavah. It's, it's literally intertwining yourself with God. It's seeking his face. It's not something that's passive, okay? Hoping, true biblical hope is an active process. It's an expectation. But there are a lot of people who just say, I'm just a hoping, I'm just a praying, I'm just a hoping, I'm just a praying. But they're saying it from a, a place of victim stance, a place of passivity, okay? Now, when you shift over to the dimension of being powerful, okay, which is stage five, you're now acknowledging reality. You're able to face yourself. You're able to actually say, you know what, guys, um, I think I need to work on a few things. You know what, guys, I've actually had a bad attitude. I need to sort this out. You know what, guys, I need to actually step up my game, right? And then stage six is I own it. You take ownership of the particular situation. You come to a place of realizing that, you know what, um, no one is going to manage my career for me. Only I can manage it. Okay, no one is having sleepless nights out there thinking to themselves like, oh, what are we going to do about Paul's career? I need to make something happen with the strength of God in me. All right. God works through people. That's that's the reality. Don't think you're being spiritual when you're being passive. God works through people. And very often when we are prayerful people, we become the answer to our own prayers, because while we are praying, God literally will say, do this you know, what's in your hand, and he'll begin to give you ideas, and then we step up and do them. Don't be deceived thinking you can just pray, and you passively wait, and um, your destiny is handed to you on a silver platter. Life doesn't work that way, all right? Um, so you own it, and then the seventh stage, this is now where you're becoming powerful, is you seek solutions. You seek solutions, and then stage eight, you make it happen. This, again, is not in your own strength. This is the strength, the power that we get from on high. Amen. All right. <clears throat> I want to encourage you today to turn your pain into progress and not remain a victim. You have a choice. In Romans 8 verse 37, the Bible says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Okay. Through him. We're more than conquerors. I think that's amazing. So you're not defined by your circumstances, but who you've become in Christ. Don't keep defining yourself by your circumstances. We've all had challenges in life. We've all experienced rejection, but we choose what we are going to do about it. When you look at the person who's become a Christian, a born-again Christian, who knows their true identity, Embedded in that identity is a strong sense of being a conqueror, a strong sense of being an overcomer, a strong sense of being victorious, a strong sense of shaping your world instead of being shaped by your world. And I use this example a lot, but I can literally be crawling in traffic, crawling in traffic, going at 5Ks an hour, late for a client, but I'm on the highway. I can't do anything about it. But I made a decision. I'm not going to let the traffic affect my mood. I've already said I'm a joyful person. I'm not going to let the traffic rob me of a joyful day. But where do most people live? The moment they get into that open plan situation in the workplace, the first question they're asking is, what mood is the boss in today? And if the boss is in a bad mood, what happens? You spend your whole day treading on eggshells. Some of you are like that even at home, aren't you? Right? It's like, what's my husband's mood? You know, uh, I'll only be happy, Paul, when my husband stops doing this or starts doing that. Well, you've just placed your happiness 
into your husband's hands, okay? God has not called us to have other people control our moods, all right? Um, that's why in scripture, the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. That is his spirit speaking to his soul. His spirit is commanding his soul. His spirit is basically saying, listen, why are you so downcast? Why are you so grumpy and sad? Put your hope in God. When we focus on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it transforms our mood. Okay. I always say to people, don't let someone else's weakness, right? Control your emotional state, right? We are powerful. We are not victims. Happiness is a choice. Very, very important. So do not be defined by your circumstances, but by who you've become in Christ. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some characteristics of a victim. Okay. And see if you can identify with any of these. Okay. The victim often feels anxious. They often feel ignored. They often feel helpless or manipulated. All right. That's how they often feel. And this is how manipulation works. Manipulation is a bit like a remote control vehicle. You see, often we are accusing other people and saying, she's so domineering. He's such a bully. She's so controlling, right? We become very much like that. But I like to say this, have a look at yourself and ask yourself, why are you so controllable? All right? Because it works a bit like a remote, right? If, I've, uh, if I take one of my uh, kids' cars, let's say they've got a remote control vehicle and I take the remote, can I actually use it to take your shoe off? Why not? But it's a remote control. It controls things. If I take their PlayStation remote, right, and I use it on your tie, can I take your tie off, right? No, I can't. Why? But how come it works for the PlayStation, right? Because that's got a receiver. It's connected, right? But if I take that same remote and try and remove your shoe, I cannot because your shoe has no connection with the remote. So here's my question to you. When you are continuously controlled by other people out there, right, What's that antenna that is causing you to be controlled by them? Very often you see them as your source. Very often maybe you put that person onto a pedestal. Maybe you need their validation. And that's what gives them power over you to control you. I love what Jesus said. He says, Satan has nothing in me. Satan has nothing in me. In other words, there's no connection between Jesus and Satan. And the thing with a lot of victims is they're so bullyable. Okay, if there's such a word, they're so bullyable because of what they need from other people in terms of validation and affirmation. The reality is when we seek the honor that's from above, when we seek the approval that's from God, we become free people. We become so, so free as people. So as we are emptying ourselves from all these pseudo identities, it's so important that we are embracing Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, you are enough for me. So that's very important. Secondly, the victim is fatalistic and has an external locus of control. What do we mean? You see, some people have an internal locus of control. In other words, they believe that they can shape their future, right? They believe that if they put in hours and so, 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 so uh, time into a particular endeavor, they will reap the rewards, right? The Bible speaks a lot about diligence in terms of that, right? Um, so I can shape my destiny. On the other extreme is an external locus of control where some people believe that my future existence, my future life is completely outside of my control. I can't do anything about it. And they become fatalistic. They become passive and fatalistic. All right. Um, I remember one time, you know, challenging a particular lady with regards to a guy she had met. Uh, and I think she was about to get married or something like that or considering it. And I remember asking the question like, is this God's best for you? And her response was very passive. She said something like, you know what, maybe this is, this is uh, my lot in life. She said something to that effect. And I'm thinking to myself, you need to know how powerful you are. You've got the power to choose. You don't have to choose that dodgy job, okay, with dubious people, right? You can choose the right way, all right? This is the way me and my household, this is what we've chosen to do, right? Life or death, we are choosing life, right? It's a choice that we've got. The victim is often a people pleaser. 
And the sad thing about being a people pleaser is that you find yourself becoming resentful to those people because you'll do all sorts of things and you're just waiting for their acknowledgement because you're doing it for a reason, aren't you? You're waiting for their acknowledgement. You're waiting for their appreciation. You don't want to displease them. And when they don't give you that, you become resentful. And you're this person who can't say no to people. So you say yes to the whole world. And after some time, you start feeling like people are abusing me because of my good nature. Why don't you just be honest with people up front in terms of what you can do and what you can't do? Remember, Jesus was mission-minded, not need-minded. There are times when people say, Jesus, the crowds are coming after you. They want you. And you'd say, you know what? Let's get onto that boat and let's go to the other side because I need to preach to that town for such, for such as this, uh, the Son of Man came, right? Uh, I came to seek and save the lost. I came for these people. This is my mission. He was mission-minded, not need-minded. And when we start understanding this and not trying to play God, it's amazing. It shifts us out of the martyr syndrome, which I might talk about um, shortly. The, the victim has believed lies about God, lies about themselves, and lies about how the world works, and lies about other people. They've believed lies. One of the prayers I've been praying recently over certain people is, Lord, may you uproot the lies in their mind. May you replace them with the truth about themselves. You see, this whole journey that we are on in terms of decoupling from pseudo-identities, we literally coming against arguments that have exalted themselves above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we're replacing those arguments with God's truth in our lives. And I'm telling you, it's so, so liberating. Have you placed burdens on yourself that Jesus hasn't actually placed? All right. There's something so serious, something to think about. So I still remember some time back, uh, I was coaching a particular lady. She was about 37 years of age at the time. And I remember a situation where I asked her, I said, what stresses you out? And then she said, you know what, Paul, as a working mom with two kids, it's, it's my children. We're renovating our house at the moment. And when I'm at home, I'm trying to work on the house. My husband and I are trying to work on the house, but the kids always want to play. And I said to her, your kids aren't stressing you out. And, uh, you know, I think she was, you know, quite curious why I was saying that. And I, was, I said to her, guess what's stressing you out? The thing that's stressing you out is you are being drained by a misbelief that you have. And it's a debilitating argument that you've believed, a debilitating belief or rule that you've created for yourself that I need to be a mom like my mom was. Okay. And that's the perfect mom. Can you see the lie she had believed? And I said that you're being drained by the guilt you're experiencing because you're not being a mom like your mom was. Her mom had passed away um, some months uh, earlier and her mom was a classic nurturer. She loved to nurture. Okay. And I said, you know what, what your kids need from you is a mom, not like your mom, but a mom like you, how God has wired you. And so God handpicked these kids for you and handpicked you for these children. Right. And I said, your kids probably enjoy working with their parents. She said, Paul, it's actually so, so true. It's really true. And Paul, you're so right. It's not just my mom. It's also my sister who's an occupational therapist. And she tells us, you know, hey, this, do this with the kids, do that with the kids and so on. So there's that pressure. And I said, your kids need someone who's wired just like you. And she says, yeah, but I feel bad because we got them to work with us and so on. And they were working all day and painting and we we're doing all sorts of things and so on. And I said, but how did your kids find it? And she said, they loved it. They loved it. So the thing is, some of you have become victims and you've beaten yourself up because you've believed lies, you've got debilitating arguments that have been exalted in your mind about what good looks like, what perfect looks like. And I'm saying to you, those burdens that you've placed on yourself, are they burdens Jesus has placed? Because when I look in scripture, the Bible is very clear. Jesus says, come to me for I am humble in heart. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Are there burdens you're carrying that he hasn't given you? Very often they're empowered by lies that we have believed, okay? And that's how strongholds form in our minds. It's guardian lies that exalt themselves. And these, these guardian lies um, reinforce bad behavior, right? So we find that there are these lies. Let me give you some example of some lies that uh, victims believe. Everything bad happens to me. 
I can't do anything about it, so why try? I deserve the bad things that happened to me. No one cares about me. They all have an unfair advantage. God is too busy for people like me. There is nothing special about me. No one likes me. I'm just a burden. I, can tr I can't trust anyone. They will let you down at some point. They're all in it for themselves. When they're nice to me, it's because they feel sorry for me. I had that experience. I remember when I was at school, I had a friend who had a particular disability. And, you know, we were friends. We'd gone along really well. But he told someone else who then told me, you know how it goes. He says to, they said to that individual, I think Paul is my friend just because he feels sorry for me. You see, when your self-concept is not healthy, when you've got a low self-image, it will, it will color how you interpret people's behavior towards you. People will come and visit you and try and love on you, right? But you'll interpret it as, you know what, they're just feeling sorry for me, right? Instead of actually seeing that, wait a minute, I am actually loved. There are people out there who care about me. Oh, I'm actually fun to be around, okay? So think about that. You will always interpret things based on how you see the world. And often how we see the world is based on lies as opposed to the truth, okay, around what God has spoken to us. The victim allows others to choose for them. You see, they don't like to take responsibility for their decisions, so they will always speak and consult with someone else, and they can blame that person if things go wrong, right? The victim often lacks clarity when they're speaking because they're often indirect. They sit on the fence. You say to them, what do you think about this? Uh, yeah, it can go other way. Do you think this is a good idea? Yeah, maybe, right? Um, and sometimes they come across quite two-faced because they're people pleasers very often, okay? The victim is often low when it comes to um, uh, self-care and they often have the martyr syndrome. So they feel bad when they look after themselves. I remember coaching a particular person in one of the banks years ago and I said, uh, I said to this lady, I said, um, you know what I would like you to do because I could see that she was a bit of a martyr. You know what I would like you to do? I would like you for your homework over the next couple of weeks, do something nice for yourself. Go for a manicure, go for a pedicure, just spoil yourself. And we see it, especially with a lot of moms, they struggle to do that. They do everything for everyone else, including the neighbor's dog, and they forget about themselves. A couple of weeks later, that lady said to me in our next session, Paul, I'm really struggling with that homework that you gave me. And some of you are like that, okay? And it's a form of self-hatred. It's a form of self-hatred. Jesus loves you. Jesus lavishes his love on you, right? The Bible says he's blessed us with all things together for our enjoyment, okay? He wants you to enjoy life. Don't feel guilty when you treat yourself nicely. In fact, it's very difficult to treat other people with great care that's genuine, that's authentic, if you don't actually care for yourself. There are a lot of people who are so run down today, about to collapse because of lack of self-care, okay? So run down because of lack of self-care. So watch out for that for yourself. All right. Now, as we continue looking at this, we see that uh, victims often have this martyr syndrome. Victims always expect bad things to happen for them, happen to them, right? You all know that particular um, scripture that speaks of um, how when you're blessed by God, you are not bound by the fear of evil tidings. You're not bound by the fear of evil tidings. In other words, the fear of bad news. Well, guess what? Um, fear is faith in reverse. And very often you will find that a lot of people who are victims, they've got faith for bad things happening. That's what they talk themselves up. They talk it up, isn't it? Right? Something negative is going to take place. Okay? Again, watch out for that. All right? Now, we also see that the victim doesn't take responsibility. It's always someone else's fault, okay? It's always someone else's fault, so they'll blame a lot. The victim believes that there's no point in trying because they're powerless to bring about change. So there's no point in trying. The victim believes that their emotional state is in someone else's hands. I will only be happy when my husband starts doing this. I will only be happy when the kids change this. So you putting your happiness in someone else's hands. Be careful of that. And then 
the victim does not actively look for solutions to change the status quo. They wait for someone else to do so, all right, because they don't want to take ownership or responsibility. So what I want to do is I want to focus on the account, the biblical account of Gideon, because Gideon was a bit of a victim. And I would like us to just unpack this and see how God deals with people who've got this victim pseudo identity. Okay, are you are you ready for this? Let's see what we let's see what we can uh, find in Scripture with regards to this. Okay, in Judges chapter six, and I'm going to read through from verse one through to sixteen, and then verses twenty-two to twenty-nine. The Bible says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Okay. Now, the Israelites ended up in the situation that they were in because of their own evil doing. But you see, the mindset of the victim won't take responsibility, okay? They'll be like, why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this? They won't look at the choices that they've made and realize that, you know what? There are certain areas of my life where I'm actually reaping where I was sowing, all right? And you can see that the mentality of the Israelites, they'd gotten into unbelief. And they were literally blaming God. And yet the scripture here says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The reality is that some of the things that happen in our lives, yes, it's true that bad things happen to good people. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in our lives because of our own doing. And we need to repent of those things. We need to take ownership. We need to change our mindset. We need to change our behavior and say, what am I going to start doing differently? Because you don't want to end up on your deathbed one day, blaming everyone else, being a bitter person, when in actual fact, there were certain things that you did that contributed to your own reality. Okay, in verse two, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. This is such a powerful picture of the victim. We end up with strongholds in our minds. We end up with a lot of self-protective behavior, shelters against all sorts of people around us. Why? Because of the oppression. Remember, when we look in the Old Testament, a lot of times it's a picture of what we experience today. It says, because of the oppression from the Midianites, these guys ended up in clefts in mountains. They ended up in strongholds. What do strongholds do? They protect you. And you might not be in a physical stronghold, but you might be in a mental stronghold where you've literally said to yourself, let me reject myself before I can be rejected. Let me not speak up, Paul, because someone will always criticize and accuse me. So I'm now going to keep quiet. And that becomes your shelter. Watch out for that. Okay. What shelters have you created for yourself that are reinforcing the victim identity. That's not your identity in Christ, okay? Often victims are under spiritual oppression that causes passivity. And then when God frees them up, he actually restores their will. He actually restores your will. That sense of, I can choose to do this. I will to do this. It's so powerful. In Philippians 2 verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you. So it's his work to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And that's my prayer for us today, that God by his spirit will work in our hearts for us to will and to act and to fulfill his purpose, to break us out of that passive mindset, okay? Then we look at verse three. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples, okay, the other ites, right, invaded the country. Some of you have been experiencing that in your lives. That the moment you start a project, the moment you start trying to work hard, there are always these ites, these Midianites, these Amalekites, other people, right, who come and they begin to invade you. And you feel like you're never making progress. God wants to break us out of that because he's made us more than conquerors. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. 
Maybe you're in that place in your life where you feel like the enemy is just camping around you. Whenever you start a new project, it ends up getting destroyed. The enemy is just watching. And it's happened to you so many times. So what's the temptation? I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm a victim. There's no point in trying. Maybe you're a foreigner in your country. And you're like saying, no, these people, they don't like me. Xenophobia. So I'm not going to try anything. I've spoken to people like that where they'll literally say, I'm not going to start anything. I'm not going to start a business. There are no opportunities for me here because they've been battered and bruised for a long time, but they now have the victim mentality. Watch out for that because that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. He wants you to be discouraged and not to plant anymore, not to sow anymore, just like the Israelites. Okay. It says neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys were spared. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. So there were many in number, right? It was impossible to count them on their camels. So they were discouraged because of the numbers of these people. They were overwhelmed. But we know that elsewhere in scripture, what does it say? It says, hey, the ones that are for you are more than those that are against you, right? God is the Lord of hosts, the Lord over the army of angels, Jehovah Sabaoth right? There are more that are for you than are against you. I'll be preaching some time on how God is actually for us. It's so important to understand that. He's for you. He supports you. He delights over you, right? Don't judge your circumstances by the numbers you have because they're invisible beings with you also that are difficult for you to count, but God is with you. His angels are with you. It's important to be fixed on unseen things, to be able to be sensitive to the unseen realm as and fixed on Christ, fixed on heaven, instead of what you can see um, in, the, in this realm here. They invaded the land to ravage it. Median so impoverished, impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Isn't that amazing? Very often we'll cry out and we say, God, please help me. And he sends you a man. He sends you a woman. He doesn't necessarily just come and scoop away all your enemies. Very often you get destiny helpers, people who God sends into your life. And it's important to recognize who these people are. Because if you don't recognize them, you'll find out yourself, you'll find yourself stoning that prophet right? But it's actually someone God has sent into your life. Are you crying out to God for help? Are you happy with who he's sending? Are you even recognizing who he's sending? The Messiah came for the children of Israel, but many of them didn't recognize God's gift to them, all right? So he gives you destiny helpers. So he sent, um, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the land of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the land, from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Very often your destiny helpers won't just say nice things to you that you want to hear. Sometimes they may say things that make you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes they may rebuke you. They may reprimand you. Are you still going to listen to them or are you going to stone them? All right. Um, this is very, very important. Okay. What is interesting also here is that the children of Israel had this victim mentality, partly because they had forgotten about the goodness of God. What the enemy wants to do to you is to make you forget about the goodness of God, right? A friend of mine and I were chatting the other day and he said, that's one of the most attacked things about God, his goodness, right? There's so many fights about it, his goodness. God wants us to know that he is good. And when we realize his goodness, it's partly because we remember all the things he's done historically in our lives. I want to encourage you, if you want to break out of being a victim and the pseudo identity of uh, speaking from victim stance, thinking from a place of victim stance. Remember what the Lord has done. Remember his provision for you. Remember how he's protected you. Remember how he said, you know what? Uh, do not do this. Do not do that so that I'll protect you. Remember his ordinances, his laws. It's so, so important, all right? Because when you do so, you realize that, wait a minute, God is a good God. So some of the principles and boundaries he's put into my life, it's for my own protection. It's not legalism. It's not rules and regulations, okay? It's for my own good. God is a good God. So important. So they had internalized the constant oppression 
and they ended up having an inferiority complex, okay? When you are battered and bruised, when you are bullied so many times, okay, very often you internalize how you're seen by the enemy. Remember when the children of Israel spied on the land and they got into the land, the promised land, what did they say? They say, these guys just look like giants, you know, and we looked like, we like, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes, okay? So they internalized how they were seen by the enemy. And they ended up with an inferiority complex. When you've got an inferiority complex, you do inferior things, okay? That's just the reality. We will always live out how we see ourselves. If I think that I'm not academically excellent, I won't study uh, at higher levels, all right? I'll just do the basic things because of how I see myself, okay? They had a slave mentality despite the fact that God kept on delivering them right? And giving them a new identity. They still had a slave mentality. Okay. So breakthrough comes when we embrace our true identity in Christ and we stop looking at how big our enemy seems to be. It's the same experience that David had, you know, in the whole David and Goliath situation, right? Where David had a healthy mindset, a healthy esteem from God's perspective, but the rest of Israel was literally running away from Goliath, okay? It's that same mindset. And now we see again the children of Israel, we see them doing a similar thing here uh, when it comes to the, the Midianites. In 1 John 4 verse 4, the Bible says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's such a powerful scripture. The one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. If you just meditate on that, that is so powerful in breaking out of the victim mentality. This scripture is not just for casting out demons, okay? This scripture is telling me that the influence and impact that I have on the world around me is bigger than it has on me. So next time someone says to you, how's married life treating you? Say to them, I'm treating it well, thank you. Next time someone says, how's life treating you? Say, I'm treating it well. Thank you. Okay. That's a mindset of victory. That's a mindset of I am more than a conqueror. Okay. So let's continue looking at what happened with Gideon. In verse 11, it says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Oprah. Okay. It wasn't a talk show, right? That belonged to Joash, the Abysrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, did Gideon see himself as a mighty warrior? He didn't, but God spoke his identity to him. And that's what God will always do. Before he gets you to do a great and mighty thing, he wants to deal with your identity because you live out how you see yourself. I don't know what God is calling you right now. Maybe he's saying, rise up, Rise up, warrior princess. Rise up, worshiping warrior. Rise up, mighty man of valor. I don't know what he's calling you, but it's something great. It's something powerful. And when God names you something, he empowers you to be that. That's the powerful thing. You see, God's words are creative. So when his words are released, they have power in them to help you to become that particular thing. So when God says you're a prophet to the nations, in those words, he's giving you everything you need in order to be a prophet to the nations. There's an impartation that comes when he gives you your identity. Isn't that powerful? When he said to Abram, you are father of all nations, right? There's the power to be father of all nations, right? That's the way God works. It's not just the power of his word. It's the word of his power. His power is encapsulated in his word. And I think that's so important to understand. I find it interesting. He doesn't have a whole lot of list of a whole long list of things that Gideon must do. He starts off with who Gideon is, who Gideon is. My question to you, who are you? Who does God say you are? What's your true identity? Not what people have called you, not what your nickname is, right? Not what you've interpreted based on the circumstances that you've been through, not what you've rehearsed in your mind, okay, based on your wounding, but who are you? Okay, powerful question. So the victim will always focus on their circumstances and not on God's words, because look at his response in verse 13, okay? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, 
But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Okay, he looked at the circumstance. He didn't focus on God is good, right? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon is not putting two and two together. He's not taking ownership on that ladder of power, that ladder of accountability. He's still shifting the blame. He's blaming God, right? But God says, these things will happen to you guys if you do evil, right? <clears throat> so your interpretation of events shapes your view of God and ultimately your identity. Your interpretation of events shapes your view of God and ultimately it will shape your identity. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I just find God so amazing. You know, God wants the victim to focus on their purpose. He is interested in your destiny. God doesn't have a big theological debate with Gideon saying, no, because you guys sinned and actually, yeah, hey, why are you blaming me now? How can you speak to me like that? God doesn't do that. He basically says that, am I not sending you? It's almost like Gideon, your solution is the fact that I've chosen you and I'm sending you. Stop talking a lot, right? Focus on what I've called you to do. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. Where did that strength come from? It comes from your identity. It comes from the fact that God has conferred his name upon you and you're doing it in his name. And God is basically saying, you are powerful. You are strong. I am sending you. Be careful of doing things that God hasn't sent you to do because there's no power there, right? Alignment to his will is so, so important. Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord. He still had issues. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, right? And I am the least in my family. That's a stronghold. That's an argument he's exalting in his mind. It's a misbelief he's got, right? And very often we've got value equivalence when it comes to who will God use? Because he's now acknowledging that God can send someone. But because he still has this inferiority complex, this victim mentality is like, okay, Lord, theoretically, even if you're sending someone, why me? Now, can't we just leave God to just choose who he wants to choose, right? In scripture, it shows us that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, all right? Now, I find it interesting because victims often have an inferiority complex, okay? They have debilitating rules about who God can use and who he can't use. But in John 14, verse 12, it says, Verily, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What's the qualification? Jesus says, whoever believes in me. Maybe God saw that Gideon was someone he can work with, that Gideon had some kind of faith. God saw that seed potential. That was in Gideon and God wanted to use that. He knew this is a, someone who can be broken before me, right? Uh, the scripture tells us a broken and contrite heart, I will not despise. I will not deny. He will use you if you're broken before him and you've got belief, right? So the key question isn't, are you the last born? There was no law in scripture to say the last born can't be used. This was a cultural thing that was hanging over his head because as he's growing up, he's seeing that, wait a minute, you know, the firstborns get this, the firstborns get that, okay? My clan, we're the least. And that had been reinforced in his life, in his psyche, in his mindset for years and years and years. So now when God says, I'm calling you, he's like, me? Why me, Lord? Why don't you choose those other people? But what do we see happening? Do you remember when Samuel was uh, going to choose um, David, how he was picking other people? And what did God say? What did God say? He says, don't look from the outside. Don't look at the outside appearance. Don't look at them because of their height, how tall they are, how good looking they are, right? Because God looks at the heart. There's something that God saw in Gideon's heart. God didn't focus on the fact that his clan is the weakest. And it's interesting how Gideon was telling God all these things as if God didn't know, as if God didn't know he was the last born, as if God didn't know that his clan was the least, okay? And God was like, you know what? 
I'm going to use this. Why? Because God is interested in his glory. God is interested in his glory. And when you continue with the narrative, what you see a bit later on, God literally says, you know what? We're going to scale down the size of this army. Why? Because I want to get the glory. If we don't scale down the size of the army against the Midianites, you guys will say it's because of our own strength. God will handpick certain people based on his belief about who will get the glory. You see, when you exalt yourself and say, I am strong in my own strength, okay? God looks at that and is like, well, who's going to get the glory? When you humble yourself and you embrace weakness, guess what God says? You know what? This is a vessel I can use. He does not use you based on externals. He uses you based on his glory. Very, very important. All right. In verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. That's the thing. That's the important thing. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. All right. And then we have a scenario where he starts doing the fleece thing, trying to test God again. That's Old Testament. Okay. New Testament, we've got the Holy Spirit and we're led by the Spirit, right? Remember in the Old Testament, these guys relied on prophets to speak to them and so on, right? Uh, and angels coming, etc. right? And then let's skip over to verse 22. It says, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, now very often when we talk about the angel of the Lord in scripture, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. Okay, and you see the pre-incarnate Christ manifesting from time to time in the Old Testament. Okay, it doesn't just say an angel of the Lord. It doesn't just say, oh, there was an arbitrary angel just floating around. It says the angel of the Lord. Okay, so it's literally the pre-incarnate Christ, God himself appearing to Gideon. Right. And remember, scripture talks about how uh, they couldn't see God's face without dying. And that's why he says, oh, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face, right? But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die, right? So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace, <laughs> right? Isn't that powerful? The Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Oprah of the Abysrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. It's interesting, like these guys didn't click why the evil was happening to them. You know, they've got all these Asherah poles and they've got all these uh, high places exalted to other gods. And they're like, hey, but why is the Lord doing this to us? God isn't keeping his promise, you know. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So here's the principle. We will have breakthrough to the degree to which we are willing to tear down things that dishonor God and build up things that honor him in our lives. And some of those things we have to tear down, they're strongholds in our minds. They're the misbeliefs in our minds. They're the beliefs that we've had that are not true and they're exalting themselves above the knowledge of Christ Jesus. What are the things God is calling you to tear down? Maybe you're saying, God, I want this breakthrough. God, do this and this for me. And God is trying to speak to you and he's saying, first tear this down in your father's house. First stop this practice. First do this, first do that. Maybe that's what he's saying to you. Don't be a victim. Do what you need to do. Don't blame God, okay? Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So I think God saw something so precious in Gideon, right? And he knew this is a guy I can really work with, right? And so he pours himself into Gideon. He gives him the instructions. And to be honest with you, Gideon was obedient. But he still struggled with a particular thing, and that was the fear of man. But it seems like God was fairly flexible with him, right? But victims tend to struggle with the fear of man. The fear of man is one of the most common hindrances to destiny. If you look in Galatians 1 verse 10, it says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, one of the things that disqualifies you from being a servant of Christ is if you're a man pleaser. So this is serious business. 
You know, it's not just an option we have. It's not a nice to have like, oh, I'm free from the fear of man. This is something we have to uproot from our lives. It will affect you in terms of walking in your true identity. As long as I fear man, right, my identity will be skewed toward man. And I won't live out my life from the freedom of the fear of man. It's so important. In Proverbs 29 verse 25, um, the Bible says, The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be set securely on high. I still remember uh, when my wife uh, spoke to me uh, when we were still just friends and we had a conversation about, you know, our future and that kind of thing. And it was now the time where I had to pray about it. I remember I was praying about it and so on, like, is this the person I'm going to marry? I was thinking of some of the implications in terms of cultural dynamics, uh, so-called racial dynamics, etc. And immediately, this is uh, way back in 99, I had this, I got a picture of a snare, a vision of a snare. And then the scripture came, this one, the fear of man will be a snare. The fear of man will be a snare. You see, we end up being trapped because of the fear of man. We end up not pursuing the thing that God has called us to pursue because of the fear of man. Ask yourself, am I a victim who's afraid of the opinions of man? Die to that, pull it down, burn it up because it will affect your destiny and your identity. In Romans, uh, in Romans 8 verse 31, it says here, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can you see that Gideon was thinking, but what, but what, Lord? But what if, but what if? And God will just say to him, but I'll be with you, but I'll be with you. Same thing Jesus says, he sends us out, right? At the end of the gospels, he sends us out and he just says, I will be with you till the end of age, all right? That's the important thing. Is God with me? As long as he's with me, who can be against me? What that basically means is even if people are against me, Guess what? Every tongue that rises up against me, it will fall. It will not survive. It will bounce off me. I've got a bulletproof self-image, okay? That's what we're saying. Why? Because I'm so fixed on what God says about me. In Luke 12, verses 4 to 5, the Bible says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. This is Jesus speaking. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I don't know why people think that hell doesn't exist and so on. And Jesus spoke about it so much. All right. Okay. So verse 28. In the morning, when people, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? Okay. When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. I want to say something. You cannot hide a light under a bushel. If God has promoted you, at some point, the world will notice. And some victims, some of you who are listening to this message, you've been hiding for too long. You've been hiding for too long and God is saying, you know what, just do what I've called you to do. And even if you try and do it at night, it will come out that it was you who did it anyway, right? So it's important for us to be in a space in our lives where we say, God, you know what, I'm going to rise up out of this. Now, <clears throat> what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to make some declarations now um, as we close. Uh, if you go to our website, you can actually download some of my crafted prayers. I've got specific ones to do with personal mastery, personal mastery, breaking out of the victim mentality. And I've just sampled a few that I'm going to pray now. You can pray them along with me if you can see them on the screen or you can just agree with me. OK, and these prayers are so powerful and they break us out of this mentality. You can also see them on YouTube. If you just go uh, Paul Nyamuda Crafted Prayers, you can see the personal mastery ones. Play them in your house over and over again. Get them into your spirit, man. They're very, very powerful based on lots of scripture. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that I can trust my own intuition and instincts without constantly second-guessing myself. Today, I take full responsibility for attaining my goals and achieving fulfillment 
in my life. I declare that any change I have to face this week is not frightening for me. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. I declare that the changes I experience are opportunities for growth. I declare that I am in charge of my use of time. I choose to glorify God with every hour this week. I am free to say no to things that will distract me from God's purpose for my life. I feel powerful today because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The influence and impact I have on the world around me is greater than it has on me. The influence and impact I have on the world around me is greater than it has on me. I declare that I am quickly finding my voice. I can speak freely. I will tell my own story. My story is worth sharing. Today I'm willing to admit to and correct my mistakes. I see feedback given to me as a source of learning. My mistakes are not my identity. My identity is in Christ. I am one with Christ. I'm not defined by my mistakes. I'm open to learning. I'm grateful that I have people willing to help me. I see feedback as a gift. I declare today that I am in control of my beliefs and what I think. My mind is active rather than passive. I have a sound mind. My mind is being renewed daily. I'm growing in emotional self-awareness. I can reflect on my own behavior and assess myself. Just as God assessed his handiwork in creation and saw it was good, I can also self-validate. Today, I'm free from addiction to external validation. Today, I'm free from approval addiction. Thank you, Lord, that I am unconditionally accepted by you. Thank you that you delight in me. Thank you that you rejoice over me with singing. Thank you, Lord, that I can abide in you and remain in your love. Thank you that I bear your name and that's enough. Thank you that I'm complete in Christ. Thank you that today I do not need any other label to attach to my name. I declare that Christ is enough for me. Today I embrace your standards, Lord. Today I choose to be aware of the values that move and guide me, as well as their roots in you. I will no longer be ruled by values I've irrationally adopted or uncritically accepted from others. I am comfortable feeling successful and happy living out my values. Because I am in Christ, I am confident of my ability to cope with basic challenges of life. I've got this. I can handle it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you, Lord, that I can feel comfortable expressing and asserting my needs and wants. I will no longer walk in false humility that rejects your blessings. You have blessed me to be a blessing and I fully embrace that. Today I choose to forgive all that have negatively affected the way I see myself. I choose to stop blaming them and I take responsibility for my own esteem and emotional well-being. I forgive and release where there was neglect or abuse in my life verbal abuse, physical abuse, or emotional abuse, I forgive it. I forgive all the unpredictable, un unpredictable behavior from any caregiver. I forgive and I release overcompensating parents, overly harsh or overly relaxed or indifferent. I forgive and I release those who excluded me for being an outsider or for just being different. I forgive and I release anyone who is responsible for stressful life events in my life that caused maybe job loss or unfair treatment. I forgive and I release those who caused undue comparisons with an unattainable measure with another person. I forgive that. I forgive and I release where I was on the receiving end of other people's stress and anxiety. I choose to tell myself today a different story. I choose to see Jesus even in those negative experiences, Jesus who protected me, Jesus who preserved me. I submit my self-concept to you, Lord. I declare that it will be based on the truth about myself, the truth about others, the truth about God, and the truth about how the world works. I renounce all lies in my life. I declare today that I create the climate wherever I go. 
Thank you, Lord, that I can condition myself emotionally. I can determine my mood. Thank you, Lord, that I can choose my attitude. Thank you that my attitude largely determines my altitude in life. And finally, Lord, I declare that I'm in charge of what I say. I also declare that I'm in charge of what I think. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to rewire our brains. We need to renew our minds. And this is how you do it. You meditate on God's word, on God's truth, and then you pray it, meditative prayer, and you declare it over your life. You are powerful. Say to the person next to you, you are powerful. And then say, I am powerful. God bless you. God bless you. Share this with other people. Talk about it. Share it in groups. Pray about it in prayer meetings. Amen. Thank you.